Tarzan wasn't a ladies' man. He'd just come along and scoop him up under his arm like that. Quick as a cat in the jungle. But Clark Kent, now there was a real gent. He would not be caught sitting around in no jungle scheme. Dumb as an ape doing nothing. Superman never made any money. Saving the world from Solomon Grundy. And sometimes I dispel the world will never see. Hello and welcome back to Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill episode number 63 where we go back, back to, the, to past the past and read a comic book from the yesteryear of publishing. Today we're looking at the death of Superman with special attention paid to Superman volume 2 number 75. And you can pick us up every Sunday morning on chrisandreggie.podbean.com or from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play and by relentlessly pounding on your container wall. Ooh. Yikes. Yeah, so this is uh, the 25th anniversary, right? Do I have my math correct this year? It's crazy, isn't it? That? It's like, I know. you ever go to like a forum where people write like posts just to make you feel old? Well, yeah. Uh, this is <laughs> this it, time yeah. it's us. Want to feel old? Uh, they, this is a 25, <laughs> you know, that's like a kid born this year, obviously. Yeah, they would be uh, an adult now. But, uh, old enough to have kids, yeah. Some or... standards. Uh, yeah, so we're going to go through for the next three weeks at least. At least. Uh, the death, the funeral, the return, all the all the good things that come around with uh, uh, Superman. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, reveal everything yet. But today, <laughs> we're going to concentrate on just the deadening of Superman. But we're going to start mm-hmm. off a little preamble here. Certainly, we're going to talk about what uh, might have been because uh, the death was not always in the cards. Here, uh, this was really a uh, a love story <laughs> that uh, really began with John Byrne's run on uh, the Man of Steel miniseries. That six issues that ran from October through December 1986, and uh, that featured Lois Lane becoming a little bit more lovey to Clark Kent, did not so much uh, scheming and trying to you know discover secret identities and all that. Right. Uh, this run would be continued uh, a bit with uh, Roger Stern taking over after after burnout. Burn left. <laughs> Go figure. Um, now, this would all culminate in the story arc, Crisis of the Crypt- Crypt- Crimson Kryptonite, all Ks, yeah. uh, that ran through uh, Superman Volume 249, Adventures of Superman 472, Starman number 28. Action Comics number 659 and uh, Superman Volume 2 number 50. This was November through December 1990 cover date. Yeah, and this, by the way, that arc is often lovingly referred to as Superman colon KKK, so maybe not the best uh, title I think, but that's fine. (laughs) That's where he landed in in Germany. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, No, this is a a story where Lex Luthor and Mr. Migziez Pitalik conspire to leave Superman powerless. It turns out that plain old Clark Kent is as much as a, of a selfish do-gooder when he's super-powered. Uh, and Lois is uh, quite the fan. She digs it. Uh, the story concludes, as we said, in Superman Volume 2, Issue 50, where Clark gets his powers back, proposes to Lois Lane, and she accepts. 
Uh, a few months later, in Action Comics issue 662, this is February 1991, Clark actually reveals his dual identity to Lois. You know, since they're engaged and all, it uh, stands to reason that it should be done. Yeah, uh, I, I, think, I think that was a good call. That really does not seem like Clark to have a duplicitous marriage for too long like that. But I think it's yeah. interesting that he got his powers back, but it's it seemed to have almost no... He, he you know, his proposing to her was uh, incidental to that. You know, he already loved her, and she loved him, and, you know, him getting his, whether he got his powers back or not, that's how he wanted to be, so, mm-hmm. beautiful thing, but then a TV show happened, it was Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, this was a series aired on ABC from September 12th, 1993 to June 14th, 1997, it was about Lois Lane and Clark Kent's growing romantic relationship and it was always intended to culminate in their marriage, or they figured that they would. Uh, the yeah. actual original title for the program was to be Lois Lane's Daily Planet. So you see, this wasn't going to be a superhero show. It was really more about the human relationship between Lois and Clark. Yep. Uh, Warner Brothers learned that DC Comics was planning a similar plot in the, line, in the Superman comic books. And as a result, Warner Brothers and the Superman writing staff and DC came together and reached an agreement that Lois and Clark wedding arc in the comic book would be put on hold to resume once the Lois and Clark TV show finally reaches wedding episode, whenever that would be. Yeah, they didn't care if they would do it at the same time. They just didn't want the comic doing it first. Right. Uh, and upon hearing this, Superman editorial and writing staff, they, as you might imagine, were not terribly thrilled uh, having this entire year's worth of stories shelved at the last mm-hmm. minute. Uh, they also uh, were a bit annoyed that, you know, they didn't know when Lois and Clark would marry them. It could be, you know, two or three seasons like they were told, or it could have been five right. or six seasons if they decided to moonlighting or, it or whatever. It, it could be 20 seasons, you know, if it was a huge popular be. show. They might have wanted to keep it going. So, yeah, there was no Certainly. guarantee about it. Yeah, so the people who put in all the effort to mapping this out might have never gotten to write the comic. I mean, they could have, they could have jumped to Marvel. They could, have, they could have fallen ill. Who knows? Right. Um, so you know, if Lois and Clark decided to keep them apart, that's as long as DC would have to do it as well. Uh, Jeanette Kahn uh, asked the Superman creative team if they could come up with another story of equal or greater significance that would be just as satisfying for the writers, artists, and the readers. Uh, Adventures of Superman writer Jerry Ordway is said to have uttered, let's just kill him. Uh, this is something that Ordway would jokingly say at every single Superman summit when they would, you know, get stuck. Or I think he would uh, come in and they would have, like, whiteboards all over the walls. And in the very last one, he would write, Superman dies every single time. There you show. go. <laughs> like a, <laughs> now, uh, a flow chart where the end is yep. always Superman dies. Yeah, Yeah, the old Levitt's paradigm. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, editor Mike Carlin uh, started to like the idea even though it was, you know, meant as a joke. Uh, Carlin says, the world was taking Superman for granted, so we literally said, let's show the world what it would be like without Superman. So there was an announcement to this effect. It was in the New York Newsday, which is a newspaper familiar to Chris and I. That was a Long Island newspaper. This is the one that my parents always got, and I liked it uh, as a kid. It was around 1989 or 90, they started to have full-color comics. Mm-hmm. You remember that at all? Anyway, uh, I do. <laughs> but anyway, on a day where obviously nothing else happened, it was reported in the New York Newsday that DC Comics was planning to kill Superman. William S. McTernan reported an irresistible force is going to meet an immovable object in November, and something's going to give. Superman will meet his demise. Doomsday is mentioned and named, although referred to as an escapee from a comic insane asylum. Mm-hmm. Uh, the editor, Mike Carlin, who we'll meet in a moment and learn more about, 
would describe Doomsday in the same article. Uh, he is an unstoppable force. Some of us think he is a force of nature. Some of us think he is a man-made creation. Some of us think he is an occult horror. Perhaps having a little fun with the Lois and Clark Michigas, Don Thompson, which was a co-editor of Comics Buyer's Guide, was quoted in the piece saying, Superman's death is being done for the same reason that a TV series will throw in a wedding, to give ratings a boost. Hmm. Well, since New York News Day already spoiled our big bed, let's meet Doomsday. Yeah. <laughs> His first appearance uh, kind of depends. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> some, including some price guides and even the great and powerful wiki, cite uh, Superman, the Man of Steel, number 18, November 1992, as his first appearance. Others, including other wikis and price guides, cite Superman, the Man of Steel, number 17, October 1992, where we get to see his fist as his first appearance. But none of them mention Man of Steel number 16, where you see his eyelash. I know. And it. the last part. <laughs> now, now, if only Wizard Magazine was still around to tell us what's up, yeah. or to hike up the price of whichever book they happen to have a bunch of in their collections. Right, yeah. Uh, like that issue of uh, Panic in the Sky that they seem to really want to go up. Sure. Um, now, created by the uh, the whole Superman brain trust at the time, though it's uh, generally agreed on that Doomsday is a Dan Jurgens character. Uh, rather than using someone from Superman's regular cast of bad guys, who were mostly, at this point, dudes in suits or lab coats, uh, Jurgens wanted to wrap this arc up with a massive slugfest, with a hulking beast of a character. Uh, Jurgens cites the, the working title for the story arc as the inspiration for the character's name. Uh, Doomsday for Superman was in their notes, which caused them to ask, why not call him Doomsday? Oh, okay. Yeah. He was uh, basically created to be a force of nature to take Superman out. But his story would become far more complicated in the years that followed, and uh, maybe we'll touch on that a bit later down the line. Yeah, I'll tell you, for a character that was supposed to be a one-time you know, yeah. Superman foil, we sure have gotten to hang out with Doomsday in many incarnations since. But that's uh, <laughs> not relevant to here. But uh, there's another person also starring in this story. You might have heard of him. His name is Superman. Oh, and we'll say a little bit about him. The first Superman was the Ubermensch. This was German for Overman or Superman. This is a concept in the philosophy of Friedrich Nietzsche. In his 1883 book, Thus Spoke Zarathustra, Thustra, uh, Nietzsche has a character, has his character Zarathustra posit the Ubermensch as a goal for humanity to set for itself. Uh, in 1930, a novel featuring a character with several of the super attributes Superman would display was published. It was called the It was called Gladiator by Philip Wiley. In it, a scientist gives a serum consisting of a new plasm to biology to his still unborn son. Hugo Danner is born with powers far beyond those of mortal men. We got super strength and vulnerability, all that good stuff that we know about. Uh, Hugo says, "I can do things, Dad. It kind of scares me. I can jump higher in a house." I can run faster in a train. He later say, I'm, a, I'm like a man made of iron. During this time, from all accounts, horrible novel, uh, Hugo keeps his power secret. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cleveland, Ohio-based science fiction fans Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster would create the fanzine titled Science Fiction, The Advanced Guard of Future Civilization. That was in 1933. In 1983, Siegel said... I wrote some science fiction stories and submitted them to Amazing Stories and Science Wonder Stories. They were rejected. Refusing to accept defeat, I went into the fanzine business, mostly to get those rejected stories seen by readers. My first fanzine was entitled Cosmic Stories. It was typewritten, 
Later, with Joe Schuster as art editor and with myself as editor, I published the fanzine Science Fiction. It was published on a mimeograph machine in of Glenville High School, where I was a reluctant student. In quotes. Now, in this publication, of which there were only five issues produced, is the story The Reign of the Superman, penned by Siegel and drawn by Schuster. This is an illustrated story, though, not a panel-by-panel comic book story. Uh, a mad scientist named Professor Ernest Smalley randomly recruits vagrant Bill Dunn from a breadline to participate in an experiment in exchange for a real meal and a new suit. When Smalley's experimental potion grants Dunn telepathic powers, the man becomes intoxicated by his power and seeks to rule the entire world. Eventually, the power wears off and Dunn is back on the breadline. Uh, Dunn is the Superman. He's bald and more reminiscent of the way Lex Luthor would look much later on. Also in 1983, Siegel said, In the January 1933 issue of Science Fiction appeared a story I had written in 1932 entitled The Reign of the Superman. I used the pseudonym Herbert S. Fine, which combined the name of a cousin of mine together with my mother's maiden name. After the publication of Reign of the Superman, it occurred to me that a different version of Superman could be the basis of an extremely powerful and successful comic book. And so I had originated, together with Joe Schuster, the comic book, The Superman, back in 1933. And let's let's learn a little bit about that. Uh, Siegel and Schuster redeveloped their Superman idea, so the character was a hero instead of a villain. They initially tried pitching it as a comic strip to several newspapers, but were unsuccessful, as we as we discussed in our uh, what was it our first issue episode, the uh, the comics code. Uh, a lot yep. of the a lot of the creators would rather be syndicated in the strips. Than... Oh, that was that was the dream was to be syndicated. Yes. Yeah. In, in the ghetto of comic books. Um, now, in 1983, Siegel would say, a Chicago publisher was interested, but he did not follow through and publish The Superman. Brokenhearted, Joe tore up and burned all of the original pit drawings pages except its cover. Joe was terribly discouraged. He got a part-time job as a grocery store's delivery boy, another job carrying a heavy box and selling ice cream bars on the streets. Well, he had to do something. Uh... Sure. But obviously it wasn't totally destroyed because Siegel was able to send some, uh, whatever was left of it, to National Mm. Comics, uh, which was, we know better net today as DC Comics in New York, where it languished in a drawer. Sheldon Mayer credits himself with getting the first Superman story published. Uh, Working at National as a production person at the time, he saw Siegel and Schuster's pages and suggested they would be popular. However... This story is apocryphal. The story is apocryphal <laughs> and has not never been confirmed by anyone besides Shelley Mayer. So take I've heard there's other people too that claim to have had a hand in this publishing of Superman, but we don't know. Yeah, that's a that's a very convenient story to tell later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, when National had difficulty deciding on an appropriate cover for a new magazine that they called Action Comics, someone, perhaps Mayor, pulled out the Superman proposal, showing him lifting a car with his hands. Harry Donenfeld allegedly called it ridiculous, but still decided to later put it on the cover. Uh, he would write Siegel and Schuster and ask them if they could put together a 13-page story for Action Comics number one. Siegel and Schuster hurriedly cut and pasted their newspaper strip into comic book form and sent it off. And from that spring, Action Comics number in that spring, Action Comics number one hit the stands. This was cover dated June 1938. It wasn't an immediate hit, but by Action Comics number four, it was selling like gangbusters. Astounded by this, Don Enfeld is reported as having gone down to his local newsstand and asked a kid, "Why are you reading this one?" Uh, pointing to Action Comics. 
And the kid replied, because it's the one that has Superman in it, mister. Yep, and then he uh, told him to get cheese off, yeah, get out of my face, yeah. you know, whatever he said. <laughs> now, of course, this is the end of the uh, fellow that wrote Gladiator. The, uh, the author of Gladiator, Wiley, upon seeing Superman, threatened Siegel with a lawsuit around 1940 uh, on grounds of plagiarism. However, it was never filed. The Ubermensch concept was too common a reference point for Wiley to discount. Siegel claimed to have never read Gladiator until Wiley threatened the lawsuit. However, per Gerard Jones' book Men of Tomorrow, Siegel had apparently written a capsule review of Wiley's novel in a fanzine years before Superman made his debut. Jones would say, pretty much everybody agrees that Siegel must have read it. Hugo Danner himself would eventually appear in DC Comics, uh, Young All-Stars number 10, March 1988 marks his first appearance. He's revealed to be the father of, of the father for Arn Iron Monroe, the post-crisis replacement for Superman during the Golden Age. Uh, he was written and created by Roy and Dan Thomas, who, as we know, love their literary Easter eggs. The cover of Young Stars number one, June 1987, even as Iron Monroe in the familiar Superman breaking chains pose, originally done by uh, Neil Adams. Mm-hmm. Worth mentioning because who knows if we will again Marvel Comics published an adaptation of Gladiator In Marvel Preview number 6 That was winter 1976 <laughs> cover date Written by Hey it was Roy Thomas Who, who, How about who could that? have thought it Wow. <laughs> <laughs> now uh, famously Siegel and Schuster Sold the rights to national pub- periodicals For Superman for $130 And a contract to supply the publisher with material uh, they worked on the on the comic books for a short time, quickly jumping to a Superman comic strip that debuted on January 16, 1939, uh, though Schuster would farm his duties out to assistance by 1940, and that would run until 1966. But let's talk about the more contemporary Superman. Right, movie. our Superman. <laughs> yes. Now, who doesn't know him? He's a muscular dude in a skin-tight costume of blue, yellow, and red that is faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, and can leap higher than the tallest building. In truth, Superman's origins and specs manifested and change over time. Based on the stuff from the comic strip, the radio show in 1940, the movie serial in 1948, and the eventual television show in 1952. Not to mention that during the Silver Age, Superman would often manifest a power in one issue and then not have it the following sure. issue. Yep. <laughs> Why not? Uh, also, uh, different creators have represented his strength and power set vastly differently. Yeah, which which is somewhat true for every uh, character in comics. But Superman, Absolutely. Superman maybe went through more variances than others having been around for <laughs> so long. So uh, pre-crisis, the story went like this, that baby Kal-El was sent by parents Jor-El and Lara from their dying planet Krypton in an experimental rocket destined for planet Earth. It reached a farm in Kansas while Kal-El was still a baby and found by a childless couple, John and Martha Kent. Martha decides to name the baby Clark, which is her maiden name. After a brief stint in an orphanage where baby Kal-El displays tremendous strength and power, even lifting a crib over his head, yep. the Kents adopt Kal-El formally and raise him as their own. Kal-El Clark grows up as Superboy, a young man with the same powers set at, as Superman, which are flight, super speed, invulnerability with two exceptions, x-ray vision, which can double as heat vision, super intelligence, and super senses. Now, after graduating Metropolis University, where he played football, Cal-El Clark uh, moves to Metropolis City and gets a job as Clark Kent, reporting for the newspaper, The Daily Planet. He loves co-worker Lois Lane, who only has eyes for Superman. 
and uh, Superman treats her like a dingus. Pretty much all the time. <laughs> yeah. All the time. Uh, <laughs> Superman's X-ray vision cannot penetrate lead. Uh, he, is in, he is vulnerable to two things. It's magic and radioactive meteorites resulting from his exploded home planet that we call kryptonite. Uh, there are, in the pre-crisis, several types and colors of kryptonite, each with their own unique properties and uh, results. And some of them only show up once. You know, you never know what you're going to get. <laughs> yes. but, uh, now, the, then there was... A, a, things changed, obviously, after Christ on Infinite Earths in 1985, and he was given a kind of a reboot, helmed by John Byrne, starring, starting in the Man of Steel number 1, October 1986 cover. Uh, it's this Superman we'll be seeing in the issues that we're about to discuss. So in this story, Kal-El is still rocketed from an exploding Krypton to Earth, but he is the only one. There's no Krypto or Supergirl. He arrives in a birthing matrix rather than as a tot, making the argument that he had been born on Earth. Uh, also, Krypton is a much more science-oriented planet, despite the refusal of Jor-El's warnings about the fate of Krypton. It's a more sterile-looking, movie-esque Krypton, kind of big spires, and uh, basically it copies the Donner movies, more or less. Kal-El still lands in Kansas, still picked up by John and Martha Kent. Uh, Kal-El Clark's powers manifest over time, though, beginning at puberty, so there never is a Superboy. Uh, Superman, as a man, can fly, he has x-ray vision and super sense, but he's not completely invulnerable. Still really strong, though. He can be knocked out by other similarly strong enemies, as we are about to see in what we're going to read. Uh, for another example of his lessons powers, at one point, Superman exiled himself to space. And during this time, he required a breathing apparatus to survive outside of Earth's atmosphere. Now, as mentioned, he still loves him some Lois Lane. And uh, when Clark reveals he's Superman, she loves him, too. Hey. Uh, <laughs> he's also vulnerable to magic and kryptonite, but only green kryptonite. The other kryptonites are gone, except for that crimson kryptonite, which was uh, a Mixes Pitalik addition. Right. A fifth dimension, dealy. Uh, now, all of this will continue to change drastically throughout the years, even to today. So it might not be worth committing any of it right. to your memory. Exactly. Uh, it, what, what is today might not be tomorrow. Well, probably won't be tomorrow. Uh, let's hop in and meet our creative team, starting with Mike Carlin, the editor. Uh, he was born October 6, 1958, presumably somewhere in the United States. He attended the High School of Art and Design in New York City and started as an intern at DC Comics during the summer of 1974. Uh, but he would be hired on it by Marvel Comics as a writer and artist for their humor title, Crazy Magazine. He would work on issues 72, 74, 80, and 82 through 92. And that was between the years of 1981 and 1982. He would work under Mark Gruenwald as an assistant editor and even had a short run as writer on Captain America. Those would be issues 301 through 306, cover dates January through June 1985. He would return to DC Comics on his birthday in 1986 and would ultimately become the group editor over the Superman titles. And in the fall of 1992, he would oversee the very story we're about to discuss. Hey, and now we, we, in, in this first, we're going to talk about the comics series that are involved in this uh, story about the death of Superman. First one is the Superman, the Man of Steel. This is the fourth ongoing Superman title. It was launched with the cover date July 1991, by which point the Superman line was already several months into the triangle numbering era. This was sort of a, the comic had one number, then there was a triangle number to keep you up with the series, 
mm-hmm. happening between the com- you had to be there folks I can't talk to kind of <laughs> hard to describe it made it perfect sense though at the time so it's, it not, does. it's not really that complicated uh, we mentioned this book first this book first as it generally was the lead-off issue for the month in the first week of the month the series first high-profile crossover event was panic in the sty sky uh, getting ahead of ourselves this series would run for 134 issues not including an issue zero and an issue one million wrapping up with its March 2003 issue. And uh, starting the creative team for Man of Steel, we have Louise Simonson, born Mary Louise Alexander on September 26, 1946, in Atlanta, Georgia. I remember thinking that her maiden name was Jones, because that's what many of her early uh, credits are, mm. but uh, that's actually from a uh, her first marriage. Um, now, Louise would famously model for Bernie Wrightson for the cover of House of Secrets number 92. This cover dated June, July 1971, the issue that featured the first appearance of Swamp Thing. If, uh, if you're familiar with Swamp Thing, you've seen the cover. Oh, yeah. Uh, she's, like, brushing her hair while some sort of creature crawls in through a window. It, it's the Swamp Thing, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to spoil it. Uh, now, her professional comics career would begin in 1974 at Warren Publishing, where she worked as an editor. And later, senior editor for titles such as Eerie, Creepy, and Vampirella. And it's around this time that she met future husband Walter Simonson, and they got married in 1980. Uh, after leaving Warren in 1979, she moved over to Marvel Comics, where she became editor for Uncanny X-Men, and that's a position that she held for four years. Uh, when New Mutants launched in 1983, she would edit that as well. Uh, she also edited some licensed titles, including Star Wars and Indiana Jones. She would leave the editor's chair in 1983 to try her hand at the writing side of things. She she would create Power Pack, a team of young heroes, uh, like like really young, like nine, prepubescent yeah, heroes. Yeah, yes. <laughs> now this series launched in August 1984 cover and ran for 62 issues, and uh, featured a fellow we're uh, about to talk about in the artist chair for much of its run. That's right. Uh, Louise also wrote a Spider-Man Power Pack PSA that focused on sexual abuse, and this established that Peter Parker was molested as a child. Not sure if that's still or was ever considered canon, but who knows, especially now I couldn't really tell you what's canon in Spider-Man. Uh, in 1986, Simonson wrote a fill-in issue of X-Factor, which was never published. However, her interest in the title and the characters led to her taking over the title when Bob Layton left. She, along with Jack- Jackson Gweiss, more on him in a bit, co-created the a character Apocalypse in her very first issue on the title. She, along with her husband, Walt Simonson, transitioned Warren Worthington from his angel persona into the blue-skinned, razor-winged horseman of Apocalypse, Archangel. Her run in the title lasted from issue number 6, that was July 1986 cover, to number 64, March 1991 cover date, and included crossover tie-ins for The Mutant Massacre, Fall of the Mutants, Inferno, and one of Chris's favorites to say, The Extinction Agenda. Indeed. Uh, Louise would take over writing duties from Chris Claremont on the title. She once edited New Mutants with issue number 55, September 1987 cover. She remained in the title until issue number 97, that was January 1991. And along with Rob Liefeld, introduced the character Cable in New Mutants number 87, that was in March 1990. Like the other tenured X-Books writers, uh, Bob Harris would thumb his nose at Simonson and side with the artists on all things creative, so she, like the other tenured X-Books writers, walked for Marvel. And she, and like some of the other writers, found themselves at DC. Uh, her first DC Comics work would be Superman, The Man of Steel, number one, which a year and a half of its run would take part in the very story we're about to discuss. Mm-hmm. How about that? Now, 
Across the table from Louise is John Bogdanov. He was born May 7th, 1958 in Albany, New York. He says, my failure as a child to stay airborne when jumping off the neighbor's carport with a towel tied around my neck after numerous sustained attempts led me to try drawing instead. So the superhero uh, gig was not for him. No. Uh, one of his earliest memories is cutting a TV screen into a cardboard box and doing drawings of George Reeves' Superman and Fleischer's Popeye on a roll of butcher's paper and then running that paper through the box across the screen. It's a very bad. creative kid. Too bad his family didn't have a television. That's really that's, that's kind of sad, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> he, he continues to say, when I was 12 or so, Jack Kirby started doing his fourth world opus at DC. Even though he was writing and drawing the whole a whole comic book each week, they couldn't come out fast enough for me. I had to start making up and drawing my own adventures. Uh, she, he, would in, he would attend the School of Visual Arts. His first comics work was Alpha Flight, issue number 32, March 1986, cover date for Marvel Comics. He would become the regular artist for Louise Simonson written Power Pack with issue 22, May 1986, and he would stick around there for four years. Uh, he would work on various other Marvel projects, including miniseries Exterminators and Fantastic Four vs. the X-Men. And he started at DC Comics with Superman the Man of Steel number 1 in 1991. Uh, worth mentioning, because I don't think we will again, John has a son named Cal L. Bogdanov. Yeah, that's pretty uh, serious fandom right there when you name him. Indeed. Didn't even name his kid Clark. You know, he, Not Clark. He, he could have yeah. went the Clark route, but he decided Cal L. would be better. Now, the third ongoing Superman title, Superman Volume 2, was launched directly out of John Byrne's post-crisis revamp of the character in his uh, miniseries, The Man of Steel, October-December uh, 1986 cover dates. The series would become the flagship Superman title written by initially by John Byrne, and then it was largely self-contained until the triangle numbering took hold. We mentioned this book second as it generally came out the second week of the month, and is the second chapter in the story we're about to discuss. Getting ahead of ourselves, though, Superman Volume 2 would run until issue 226, which was the Infinite Crisis crossover issue. Now on to the creative team, which is one man, Dan Jerkins. Uh, he was born June 27, 1959, in Ortonville, Minnesota. The first comic book Dan bought with his own money was Superman number 189. This is August 1966 cover date. Uh, he went to the store looking for a Batman comic. But they were sold out, and considering this is uh, 1966, is probably a reason for that. Yeah. Uh, Dan says, in fact, of course, this is in the midst of the Batman TV craze and wonderful DC go-go checks era. And those go-go checks, uh, you know them if you see them. It's right. those, the, the checkerboard on top of the, the top uh, of them. It's like a whole a whole era of DC is denoted by those checks. Yep, easy to see from the uh, from the street, I guess. Right. Uh, he would graduate from Minneapolis College of Art and Design in 1981. His first professional comic work was for DC Comics, penciling The Warlord, number 63. This is cover dated November 1982. He was hired due to a recommendation of Warlord creator Mike Grell, who was impressed by Jurgen's work after being shown his portfolio at a convention. In 1984, Jurgens was the artist for the Sun Devils Maxi series that ran from July 1984 through June 1985 cover with writers Jerry Conway and Roy Thomas. He would begin scripting from Conway's plots with issue number 8, it's February 1985, and then fully took over the writing duties on the title with issue number 10, that was April 1985 cover. Also in 1985, Jurgens created the character Booster Gold, who first appeared in 
Booster Gold number one. Mm. This is February 1986 cover date. A nice busy year there. Absolutely. Uh, his first work on Superman was as a penciler for the Adventures of Superman Annual number one, 1987. In 1988, Jurgen provided pencil art for the Dead Man short stories, which were written by Mike Barron in the short-lived anthology Action Comics Weekly from issues 601 to 612. Jurgen set a run as artist on Green Arrow with writer Mark Grell from 1988 to 1990. And in 1989, Jurgen began working full-time on the Superman character when he took over the writing penciling of the monthly The Adventures of Superman comic. Uh, Jurgens was the penciler of the 1991 limited series Armageddon 2001 and co-created the hero Wave Rider with Archie Goodwin. Jurgens helped light writer Louise Simonson and artist John Bogdanov launch a new Superman title, Superman the Man of Steel in July 1991, and he assumed the writing penciling of the main Superman comic book with issue number 57 that was also in July 1991 cover. Now uh, we're going to talk about the book that comes out the third week of the month. This is the second ongoing title, The Adventures of Superman, which started its life as Superman. That's a <laughs> Superman Volume 1, way back in uh, cover dated June 1939. Uh, it's final, in quotes, issue, uh, which is issue 423, September 1986 cover date, would feature the first half of Alan Moore's Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow. The following issue, number 124, January 1987 cover date, would feature the new George Reeves television series-inspired Adventures of dot 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 title. Uh, basically because John Byrne wanted to start his run with a brand yeah. new number one. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and as mentioned, we mentioned this book third because it was the third each month. Uh, Adventures of Superman would run until issue 649, April 2006 cover date, and that's an infinite crisis crossover. With uh, the... I was going to say something must have happened around then, I guess. Something might have happened, yeah. <laughs> the following month with issue 650, May 19, I'm sorry, May 2006, The Adventures of was dropped, and the series reclaimed it's no longer in use. Adjectiveless Superman title. Uh, Superman would run until issue 714, October 2001, before being flushed. For the new 52. As of this recording, Superman Volume 4 is being released bi-weekly from DC Comics. That's right. Uh, so let's talk about the creative team here. Jerry Ordway, born November 28, 1957. He attended Milwaukee Technical High School, where he took a three-year course in commercial art. He had a fanzine called OK Comics, drawn almost entirely by Jerry and co-written with his friend Dave Kula. Who published some other who published some work and other fanzines at this time, both of them. Joined the studio in nineteen seventy-six as a typographer, worked his way up. By the late nineteen seventies, he was a commercial printer painter for the same studio, and also submitted covers for fanzines and prozines, including the comics journal. Did covers for Western Publishing's Golden Books on Young Reader Marvel Books and Superheroes Golden Beginning Stamp Book, nineteen seventy-nine, or Stamp Book seventy-nine is really what it's called. At a 1980 Chicago Comic-Con, DC held a talent search, and Ordway submitted some of his professional work for review. He was given work and, for a time, worked for the art studio and freelance as an inker, working on pencils by Carmine Infantino, Trevor Von Eden, as well as Joe Staten and Dave Cockrum. He would com he would quit the commercial studio in February 1981 to go freelance full-time. He shared a new studio with other artists, including Pat Broderick and Al Vey. Uh, his first drawing gig was All-Star Squadron, beginning with an insert preview in Justice League of America number 193. This is cover dated August 1981, back when they included those bonus books. 
he co-created along with uh, Roy Thomas Infinity Incorporated. They appeared first in All Star Squadron number 25, September 1983 cover date. During the mid-80s, Ordway provided covers and occasional artwork to titles from a, num- a number of different comics companies. Uh, companies included uh, Wendy and Richard Peeney's Warp Graphics, AC Comics, Charlton Comics, Paragon Publications, and Fan Turn Pro Marty Green. Uh, whatever that is. Sure. <laughs> now he produced um, Munden's Bar for First Comics. This is a backup in Grimjack issues one. I'm sorry, two through sixty nine. This is September 1984 through April 1990 cover. He also provided pencils and inks on an issue of Thunder Agents. That was issue five in 1984. For Eclipse Comics, Ordway provided pencils for a short epilogue story in Mark Ivanier's DN Agents. This is issue number 18. January. January 1985. He would ink over uh, George Perez's pencils on the 12th part Crisis on Infinite Earths. This is April 1985 through March 1986. And uh, you can hear all about that in the archives. Right. For about 12 hours. Uh, <laughs> now, Ordway inked uh, Superman artist Wayne Boring's pencils for a retelling of the definitive Golden Age Superman origin story that was written by Roy Thomas in Secret Origins Number 1. This is April 1986, cover date, and he considers that a particular favorite. He drew Adventures of Superman under... Uh, under words from Marv Wolfman, uh, part of the burn-led revamp of Superman post-crisis. Um, eventually, Wolfman left the book. Byrne showed up for a while to fill in, uh, but uh, Ordway would finish it out as writer and artist. Uh, Ordway was the penciler and anchor for DC Comics adaptations of the 1989 Batman film. He jumped from Adventures of Superman into Superman Volume 2. Uh, he wrote and penciled issues 34, August 1989 through 55, May 1991. Uh, he would come back uh, to do Adventures of Superman and uh, be part of the event we're about to discuss. Yeah, and uh, the other fellow, of course, we're going to talk about is Tom Grummet. Born 1959 in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. Began at DC Comics doing finishes for George Perez on New Titans with issue number 58, September 1989. In an interview with Justin Francoeur, right? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I think so. Over in DC in the 80s.com, a good friend of the show, Tom said, mm-hmm. My experience was with working with Marv was George Perez had come back to the book for issue 50. This was a big deal. Work progressed for a few months that way until George got into a car accident. With, but with recovery and pain medication and who knows what, I don't even know, he felt that he was unable to continue on the book, but he would do layouts. So the job was offered to me, working from George's layouts, I would pencil the book. I worked that way through the lonely place of dying story arc, where Tim Drake became Robin, so there was a crossover with the Batman books at that point. I would get the layouts from George and the scripts from Marv, I would work away on these things, and then finally George decided to just leave the book entirely. Hopefully because he felt it was in good hands. So he left me behind with Marv. I'm a new guy, and suddenly I'm working with Marv Wolfman, and it's all me. (laughs) So uh, he hung around on New Titans after Perez left and would provide art for the Titans Hunt era of the title. His first work on Superman was in Action Comics number 665. That was a May 1991 cover date, and joined Adventures of Superman with issue number 480. A July 1991 cover date and stuck around for the story we're about to discuss soon. Indeed, we promise. Uh, (laughs) The fourth and final title was actually the first Superman title, Action Comics. That launched way back in June 1938. Following Crisis on Infinite Earths and the cancellation of World's Finest Comics and DC Comics Presents, Action Comics found itself the Superman team-up book. 
and these team-up issues were issues 584 through 599, uh, cover dated January 87 through April 88, with issue number 601, May 1988, Action Comics was renamed Action Comics Weekly. It became an anthology series featuring weekly serials of Green Lantern, Wild Dog, Secret Six, Black Hawks, Black Canary, Nightwing, Dead Man, the whole bunch of characters got some pile time here. Yeah. Uh, with issue 643, cover dated July 1989, the weekly was dropped, and the title became just a regular old monthly Superman book again. <laughs> uh, we mentioned this book fourth because it was the anchor of the Superman line, shipping at the end of the month or sometimes the very beginning of the following month. Action Comics would initially run until nine, issue number 904, October 2011, when its legacy was flushed for the new 52. Action Comics Volume 2 ran for 52 issues between November 2011 and July 2016. DC's, the DC's Rebirth Initiative returned legacy numbering to Action Comics with the August 2016 issue, number 957. But the damage is done. I know. Come on, publishers. You can't. You know. You can't go back. That's why they're yeah. making the choice to reboot. It, it, it's a choice. You, you, you know. You gotta stick the landing. You can't take. You can't turn back on it. Anyway, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> now, if uh, if DC stays on target with their biweekly shipping, Action Comics will ship its one thousandth issue in March 2018. And I, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure that. Uh, definitely in the Superman line, they have not missed. They've been bi shipping, bi weekly shipping Superman and action, and they haven't missed yeah. once. I don't think I don't they've think. missed once, yeah. Uh, DC really has been good with uh, some of their comics with this sure. incredibly increased schedule, so take that for what it is. Uh, creative team here we got Roger Stern. He was born September 17th, 1950, in Noblesville, Indiana. In the early 1970s, published a fanzine CPL, which was Contemporary Pictorial Literature, which was one of the first publications to showcase John Byrne's work. CPL was originally Bob Layton's Sad Sales Catalog, and we talk about that a little more in the Charlton episode, I think. Mm-hmm. By the mid 19 by the mid 70s, worked with Charlton to produce the sanctioned fanzine Charlton Bullseye, which featured exclusive art and unpublished stories from Charlton. Wrote a few pieces for Foom, which was the uh, Marvel house zine, became an assistant editor at Marvel in 1976. Became the writer for the spectacular Spider-Man with issue number 43, that was in June 1980 cover. Took over the Amazing Spider-Man with issue 224, January 82 cover. Co-created West Coast Avengers with Bob Hall. In 1987, he got into an argument with editor Mark Gruenwald and was fired from the Avengers, so he began freelancing for DC on Action Comics. He created The Eradicator, for instance. Wrote the novelization of The Death and Life of Superman in 1993, which made the New York Times bestseller list. And uh, would it work on the title we're going to talk about today? (laughs) Certainly. Uh, Now, across the table, we have Jackson Geis. So we have Jackson, quote, Butch Geis. He was born June 27th, 1961 in Chattanooga, Tennessee. It's a fun name. That's a fun city to say. Yeah. Uh, All those words are fun. Butch Geis. I love it. It's all good. (laughs) He uh, came up through the North Carolina fanzine scene of the early 1980s that I never knew existed. His uh, first professional credited work was in the independent title, the Crusaders, number one, November 1982, cover date. His first uncredited work was ghosting a uh, over Pat Broderick in uh, for a ROM annual, ROM annual number one. This was a uh, cover dated 1982 for Marvel Comics. Uh, throughout the 80s, he did lots of Marvel work, including penciling X Factor and New Mutants. He worked with Mike Barron on Badger for First Comics. Over at DC, he was the initial artist for Flash, Volume 2, the post-crisis Wally West one. 
he would hang around there for the first 11 issues. Famously, back at Marvel, Geis drew the cover for Doctor Strange number 15, March 1990 cover date, that featured the likeness of Amy Grant, who, being a Christian singer, wasn't terribly keen to be on the cover of such an occulty book. Uh, she and Marvel would ultimately settle out of court, but the exact details are unknown, and none of our business, I guess. Sure. <laughs> now, Geis moved back to D.C. with Action Comics issue 7, I'm sorry, 676, April 1992 cover date, and would stick around for the story we promise we're about to talk about. Yeah, it is imminent, folks, but first, before we talk about the issues in question, there were issues before the issues in question mm-hmm. that are important to mention. Uh, we like to call this the fist. Yes. Uh, in the month leading up to the Doomsday storyline, this was cover date uh, November 1992, each issue ended with a one-page scene of a fist punching its way through a prison wall of sorts. It was kind of some sort of a wall. Hmm. Uh, Superman the Man of Steel number 17 introduced the scene with a caption that read, Somewhere else, and three panels of a green glove fist pounding against a wall. The final panel was from outside the prison, where you can hear the echoing of the pounding within. The final caption reads, Doomsday is coming. The following week, Superman number 73 opened its scene with the caption, Unrelentingly, followed by another three panels of punching. By now, the green gloves have been shredded, revealing craggy protuberances on the knuckles. The final panel was, again, from the outside. However, by now, Doomsday's spiked knuckles have perforated the prison. The final caption again reads, Doomsday is coming. Next week, Adventures of Superman number 496 opens its scene with unstoppably, dot, 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 followed by still more panels of punching. Uh, by this point, the entire fist is visible. The final panel, again from the outside, features the same holes from earlier. However, by now, the entire framework has begun to bow. The final caption is, dot, 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 doomsday is coming. <laughs> Uh, finally, the following week, Action Comics 685 scene begins with unbelievably dot dot dot, followed by three more punchy panels. However, this time we end with the fist crooming all the way through the prison. Final caption reads, Doomsday is here. He's coming and he's here. And, you know, you got to take into context, you know, there was a lot of hype kind of circulating this thing. Certainly. Uh, Newsday had done their article. Uh, by now, other media had picked up that this was going to happen. So. We were really looking at these panels for any evidence any of it, hint, yeah. anything. I remember seeing the bony protuberances and just sort of like letting my mind go nuts on that. Like, what could that mean? What is that about? Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, we're going to tell you what it's about right now. In uh, mm-hmm. Superman, <laughs> the Man of Steel, number 18, December 1992, cover date, titled Doomsday Part 1, written by Louise Simonson, penciled by John Bogdanov, uh, inks by Dennis Yanke. Colors sure. by Glenn Whitmore. Letterer was Bill Oakley. This is triangle number uh, 45-1992. Cover features the green-clad Doomsday punching his way through some wreckage. Released October 13, 1992 for $1.25. The issue opens someplace on Earth, and we immediately join our old friend, the Fist. It crangs, crooms, crackooms, and finally... Crack a dooms its way to freedom. That was the uh, the final thing <laughs> that had to do, right? That was the secret. That's it. The secret thing. Uh, we see that the fist is attached to a giant creature wrapped head to toe in green. There are red lenses, red lenses of sorts where its eyes would be and are, and his right arm is tied behind his back. On the opposing page, we see Superman flying upward, creating a sort of odd mirror image with this beast. 
Now, this really isn't a doomsday story, per se, uh, despite the title. This is actually wrapping up a story on the Underworlders. Uh, we join a young boy named Keith, who's trying to find his missing mother, and also get a message to Superman. He buys a can of glow-in-the-dark yellow spray paint from Fleischer Paints. Selling a teenage boy a can of spray paint? Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. That's very no. cool. <clears throat> Now, to be fair, the old man behind the counter asks him if he plans to spray paint the subway. Oh, well. And he... He even cocks his eyebrow at him. Yeah, so. really? Are you sure? All right. Yeah, he did it. <laughs> he did his due diligence. And, and you know, and so we join Keith that evening, where he heads down to the subway and proceeds to spray paint yellow arrows everywhere. <laughs> uh, the following day at the Daily Planet, Lois finds a note in Clark's mailbox from a certain young man who needs some super assistance. Not because he knows that Clark is, you know, but. Uh, he knows that Clark happens to have a talent for getting a hold of Superman. Yeah, that's a common uh, Superman trope, you know. <laughs> Clark Clark has the inside scoop on Superman, even though they're never seen together. But anyway, yeah. uh, <laughs> since Clark isn't in, Lois decides she'll follow up instead. I mean, what could possibly go wrong with that? Nothing. Before leaving, she leaves a note on Clark's computer. I'm not sure if prehistoric email or BBS, or maybe she just opened a new document in Word. Perfect, that was a thing. In 1992, right. right? Something like that. We don't know what the, how she did it, but she probably just probably just typed it right into DOS and, and let it go. <laughs> uh, we check back with our green-clad Goliath, and he gets in touch with nature by crushing a tiny bird that landed in his hand with a blorch. This really seems to tickle the big guy's uh, funny pun here. I mean, it's a classic, Chris. You know, so, yeah. some things are just funny, and as we'll come True. to find out, this is sort of the way he communicates with all nature. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, back at the planet, Clark finally arrives just in time for a power outage. Looks like the Underworlders are at it again. As luck would have it, this is uh, just as Lois arrives at the location on the note meant for Superman. She's attacked from behind and delivers one hell of a kick to her pursuer. Unfortunately, he looks to be made out of stone, and she hurts her foot. And uh, also, she's captured, so there's, that happens too. Yes. Now, Keith watches the entire thing unfold while he hides away in, above in some pipes. Elsewhere, Doomsday punches a tree. <laughs> that night, that night, Superman is on patrol, and he sees a young fella spray-painting a Superman logo in a basketball court. He drops in to chat Keith up and learns all about what happened to that reporter lady. Underground, the Underworlders are riding a giant drill through the bedrock. Uh, Chris, I think you mean bad rock. Oh, no, not him, not oh, him. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Superman shows up, lickety-split, and takes the Underworlders down with all that, without all that much effort. Uh, turns out there was this old hippie among the Underworlders who uh, Lois appears to take a liking to, and he becomes uh, the Daily Planet's informal Underworld correspondent. And looking at him, I hope that that gig comes with a formal dental plan. Uh, the issue wraps up with the green-clad beastie walking across a highway right into the path of an ongoing tr oncoming truck. Which he effortly, effortlessly, he effort, I can't even say effortlessly. <laughs> he it does takes it with less effort, effort than you. <laughs> yes, he effortlessly flips this truck. And he also has one hand tied behind his back even. Wow. Uh, the trucker, a uh, trucker CBs into the state troopers. And it's a call that's overheard by Oberon of the Justice League America. Mm, maybe they should get involved. And they maybe. do. Yeah, in Justice League of America number 69, December 1992 cover date. This is titled Down for the Count, writing in pencils by Dan Jurgens, inks by Rick Burchett, colors by Gene D'Angelo, and letters by Willie Schubert. Cover features the Justice League attempting to fight Doomsday in front of a red background. I don't want to give everything away here, but they're not looking like they're doing too well. No. Uh, this was released October 20th, 1992 for $1.25. We open on the Justice League cleaning up in the wake of Doomsday crossing the street. 
Our roll call includes Booster Gold, Maxima, Blue Beetle, Fire, Ice, Guy Gardner, and the Marsh... Uh, uh, Bloodwind. Bloodwind, Bloodwind, yeah. yeah. Uh, back in Metropolis, the Cat Grant Show is on the air, starring Cat Grant. Hey! With special guest Superman. Oh, from here, the story splits. Every page is broken into two different ongoing narratives here. The top panels on each page feature the Superman interview, and all below follow the Justice League as they pursue Doomsday. Up top, Superman claims that he agreed to be on the show to help to get Americans to trust the superheroes. While down below, Maxima attempts to make psychic content with the Big Bad and finds nothing more than death and bloodlust. Now, as Superman yaks, Doomsday makes friends with a deer by crushing its throat. (laughs) (laughs) That's how he makes friends, Chris. That's all it is. It is, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Who am I to judge? Uh, Then he spies Blue Beetle's bug craft hovering above, and so he picks up a chunk of tree and hurls it skyward, destroying the craft. The leaguers uh, all fall, but help each other to land safely. He just wanted to make friends with the craft also. Sure. Uh, Superman answers some questions in regards to his relatively recent decision to join the Justice League. Elsewhere, on Cat Grant show, elsewhere, Doomsday stops some more traffic. Guy Gardner gets a visual on the beast and lunches at him, and uh, it goes very poorly for Mr. Gardner. (laughs) Uh, Doomsday grabs him by the back of his bowl cut and slams him face first into the pavement. And there was a here that I, I saw. I, these were my first DC comics. I, n- I never really read DC uh-huh. at this point. And uh, I remember uh, how the faces, uh, Jorgens would draw faces with bruises on them. Yeah. And I'd never seen that done at Marvel. So it, it was very odd to see. It, 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 it was rare in comics in general. But yeah, yeah. You, you see them getting beaten up and they, they look affected by this. Indeed. And then later on, you'll see we see a lot of affecting of these fighting. <laughs> we sure do. Uh, now, elsewhere, we see that the Superman interview is being played in a classroom. And this is where we meet <laughs> Mitch. Good old Mitch. Now, he'd, rather, he'd much rather Ms. Grant had Guy Gardner on as a guest. And uh, right now, I'm pretty sure Guy feels exactly the same way. Uh, the League continues getting their butt kicked all over the place, including Bloodwind getting sent through a factory where he gets lit on fire, which is important for a reveal that occurs later on and has nothing to do with the Doomsday storyline. Right, we won't get into it, but uh, he's Martian Manhunter. That's what it is. Oh! Anyway, uh, while Superman <laughs> chats about facing off against be- beings capable of killing him... Doomsday lays waste to the Blue Beetle, smashing his head into just about every surface imaginable. When news of what's going down with the League hits the airwaves, the Cat Grant show cuts to a news break. Superman rushes off to Ohio to see if he can pitch in, just when Ice informs Booster Gold that she believes the Blue Beetle to be dead. And so, Booster starts blasting Doomsday, and that doesn't work very well for him. Doomsday wallops Gold with a pow and sends him flying like... Seriously, he flies for miles. You know, he yeah. kind of, kind of like the old. Uh, he just kind of like flies off to the sky and ding. You know, you don't even yeah. see anything where he lands. Uh, but no, but Superman catches him. Uh, this issue ends with Booster explaining the situation, ending with, "I'm telling you right now, it's like Doomsday is here." Hmm. Very good, Booster. Yes, we jump to the next part. Superman, Volume 2, Number 74, cover dated December 1992. Uh, Countdown to Doomsday is the title. Words and pencils by Dan Jurgens. Finishes by Brett Breeding. Colors by Glenn Whitmore. Letters by John Costanza. This has a triangle number of 46 for 1992. Uh, cover features Superman fighting Doomsday alongside the Justice League. 
um, Guy Gardner anyway. The rest yeah. of the team has been knocked out. Uh, this was released October 20th, 1992 for $1.25. We rejoin the Justice League as Ice and Maxima have gathered around a downed and prone Blue Beetle. They follow Doomsday as he continues his path of rage, headed right towards a residential street. Remember Mitch? Well, here he is again, skateboarding home, about, about thinking about how awful his mother is for running off his father. To, rem- to remind us what year it is, when he gets home, we get this exchanged. His mother says, Mitch, dear, is that you? No, it's Axel Rose and the band. Ooh, that's a sick burn, we guess. Right? Uh, I don't the know. band is Guns N' Roses, by the way. I would imagine, you know, yeah. yeah. Uh, so he proceeds to complain that there's no soda in the fling, fling and flying in house and blames his mother and his sickly baby sister for his pop wanting a divorce. The one-sided argument's interrupted by the arrival of Ice right through the kitchen window, and that's Ice, the character, not an yes. actual block of ice. Outside, <laughs> the Mitches see Doomsday holding up their car, and he's still got one hand tied behind his back, by the way. Now, moments later, Booster and Superman arrive, and Doomsday greets the Man of Steel with a punch to the gut, because that's how he makes friends. <laughs> uh, Superman absorbs the shot. Yeah, Mitch's mom says, Whoa, that punch looked like it could have caved in a mountain, and Superman took it! To which Mitch replies, Big deal, the spud was too slow and stupid to duck. Doomsday follows up his ineffective punch with a wildly effective kick, sending Superman flying backwards through the Mitch residence and into a tree. It's kind of like they're playing Grand Theft Auto. You know, you can run over anything, run through buildings, but once you hit a tree, you're done. Yeah, the tree, just splinter a little bit. You know, some wood wood (laughs) chunks come out, but it cannot be knocked down. Uh, Superman's temporarily temporarily out of the way, so Doomsday turns his attention to Booster Gold and beats the holy hell out of him. Just before Doomsday is about to attack and probably kill Mrs. and Baby's sister Mitch, Superman rushes in with a punch. The League gets their stuff together, and along with Superman, they Care Bear stare the Beast using all their blasty powers at once. It's not terribly effective, but it does rip Doomsday's green outfit. Oh, and it frees that arm that had been tied behind his back, so the assault was sort of a net negative, really. They shouldn't have, they could have left him where he was. Yeah. Now Doomsday beats everyone up, then destroys the Mitch home for good measure. He then leaps off for his next stop in his Path of Rage tour, and Superman gives chase. Just as he's about to grab the monster by the ankle, Superman hears Mitch's cries. Oh, no. We have to rush mm-hmm. over to Adventures of Superman number 497, December 1992 cover. Titled Under Fire, written by Jerry Ordway, penciled by Tom Grummet, inked by Doug Hazelwood, colored by Glenn Whitmore, and lettered by Albert de Guzman. Triangle numbering is 47 for 1992. Cover features Superman f- delivering a flying headbutt at Doomsday before an orange background. Released October 27, 1992, again for $1.25. All pages for this issue have four panels. Mm-hmm. Superman and Doomsday tussle in the skies, which ends in, with Doomsday pile-driving the beast into a lake. He then decides to head back to check on the Mitches and saves Mama, whose hair... Turns turn black somehow from the fright. Okay. Uh, maybe. And uh, and a baby. And meanwhile, Doomsday jumps out of the drink and right into a helicopter, tearing it to pieces before landing on top of a police car in Kirby County. Superman's in hot pursuit, arriving only moments later, and the fight resumes, with Superman <laughs> noticing that somehow Doomsday seems even stronger than before. Uh-oh. Now, back in Metropolis, Lois is at WGBS Studios trying to get hold of Jimmy Olsen for a special assignment. However, he's in the middle of a Turtle Boy taping. 
Now, Jimmy first became the giant turtle man in Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, number 53, June 1961. Back during the Silver Age, it wasn't terribly unusual for Jimmy to transform into one thing or another. Usually in the same issue. Pretty much what he did. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> three stories, it's three transformations. Very simple. In, during uh, Legion of Three Worlds, the Final Crisis series, there's actually a Hall of Olsons where you see oh, all yeah? the transformations. It's, it's pretty, pretty great. great. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, the uh, this Turtle Boy costume looks similar to the giant Turtle Man. However, it also includes a shell, perhaps uh, to be more teenage mutanty than sure. uh, the earlier. Uh, now, Cat Grant facilitates Lois's entry onto the set, just as a doomsday-flavored WGBS news break kicks on. Doomsday's path of rage has crossed from Ohio into New York. Uh-oh. At Lex Towers, Lex Luthor II, this is the red-haired, bearded Australian one from when Lex pretended to be dead and was pretending to be his own son. Remember him? Yeah, that one. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, he and Supergirl, who is also actually not Supergirl, but the protoplasmic Matrix pretending to be Supergirl because Lex likes it. Uh, they're also, they're also <laughs> watching the news. Supergirl, she goes to, she suggests that she go help her quote-unquote cousin, but Lex tells her he needs her with him. The fight continues with Maxima landing a blow on Doomsday, sending him flying through a supermarket. He returns fire by smashing her with a van, and so she yanks a light pole out of the ground with which a Kaboom! Blows she, Superman, and Doomsday to the winds. As Superman begins to recover, the Guardian putt-putt-putts on his cute motorcycle. (laughs) At this point, Superman realizes that he's going to have to deal with Doomsday. Alone. And he does so in Action Comics number 684, December 1992 cover date. Doomsday is Near is the title, written by Roger Stern, drawings by Jackson Geis, inks by Dennis Rodier, colored by Glenn Whitmore, lettered by Bill Oakley. It says a triangle number of 48 for 1992. The cover features Superman and Doomsday wrestling in front of a sign which reads, Metropolis, 50 miles. This was released November 3rd, 1992 for a buck and a quarter, and this is the only issue of this run that I actually had to track down. Why? Is there any reason? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I, I've told this story a bunch of times that my local dealer had the uh, cover yeah. price plus 20 to hold for us. And uh, I remember the day we went in to buy this one and there were none left on the shelf. And he was positively giddy that I was going to miss out. Wow. And, uh, and he uh, proceeded to laugh at a 12-year-old for not, you know, giving him another 20 bucks. Oh, that's nice. That's great. Isn't that pleasant? Yeah, he's, the, he's the Rob Leefield guy. Too, <laughs> oh, so. great. <laughs> it's also that. Um <laughs> Didn't take me long though. I just found it the following weekend at uh, the Sunvet Mall because no one ever shops at the Sunvet Mall. <laughs> uh, now each page of this issue has three panels, uh, so the countdown is on. A news cl- a newscaster declares Blue Beetle as comatose and Booster Gold as seriously injured, while the Guardian attends to Maxima and Superman plans his next move. Superman suggests Guardian take Maxima to the hospital while he follows after Doomsday. And we we joined Doomsday, and he's making new friends left and right by <laughs> throwing everybody and everything he meets, cars and trucks included. Superman catches one such vehicle and sets it down safely. From the sky, he can see Doomsday's path of rage, 
It's as though he's a humanoid tornado. There's nothing but devastation in his wake. Yeah, he's ripping up the ground, everything. It looks looks pretty nasty. <laughs> uh, heading into Midvale, we see Doomsday wreaking havoc at, Le- at a Lexmark department store, where which is likely an analog to, uh, we could say, Walmart, but given the vintage of the issue, it's probably Kmart. Probably. Some Mart, we'll say. Hmm. Uh, inside Doomsday's cleaning house, where when he hears a voice calling to him, yeah, it yells, Hey, you! Yeah, I'm talking to you. Come closer. Doomsday approaches the voice, and we now see that it's emanating from a television advertising the professional wrestling event, War Bash 92, colon, Get Ready for Blood. You don't want to miss a single moment of the greatest spectacle in the history of professional wrestling, uh huh. I'm talking tag teams, yeah. I'm talking steel cages, uh huh. I'm talking knockdown, drag out grudge matches. Pro wrestling as you've never seen it before. This weekend at the Metropolis Arena, Metropolis Arena, Metropolis Arena. Now, where are you gonna go? To which Doomsday replies, <laughs> Superman <laughs> arrives, and the two takes the fight outside, right through the wall. We join Lois and Jimmy as they hover above in a chopper, and Lois dictates a report into her tape recorder. Back in Metropolis, <laughs> Lex and Supergirl watch the event unfold on television. Supergirl is still chomping to get into the fight, but Lex remains firm that she stay with him. After all, Superman survived worse, right? Back in Midvale, the battle continues to rage, and Doomsday tosses a station wagon Superman's way, knocking him into a diner or a fast food joint of some kind. Where it's business as usual. <laughs> it's like people are just yeah. going about their lives getting a Big Mac while yeah. Doomsday is destroying their town. This is Thursday, I guess, you know. It is, yeah. In this world. Uh, <laughs> in the time it takes for Superman to recover, Doomsday has learned how to read. There's a street <laughs> sign which reads, Metropolis, 60 miles. Doomsday puts two and two together. He says, Metropolis, Warpers. I mean, this is almost like sugar and spike language here, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Really. Superman, who's standing, like, right in front of Doomsday, looks over his shoulder as the Beast recites the name of the next city he will very likely destroy and the name of the next professional wrestling event he very much wants to attend. Superman slams Doomsday into a nearby hillside with such velocity it causes Cadmus's seismic reading tools to go nuts. Superman and Doomsday continue their dance right into Habitat. This is Cadmus's Tree City, first appeared in Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, number 133, October 1970 cover. Uh, that was the first issue of Jack Kirby's run. Mm-hmm. Now, Superman and Doomsday destroy Habitat, with the latter being buried under tons of tree wreckage. Guardian shows up to check on Superman, whose face is all ready to show the pounding he's taken. His left eye looks to be swollen shut. Doomsday escapes from the torrent of trees with a crack-a-doom, KOing the Guardian, and more or less KOing Superman. He bounces off, now ten miles closer to Metropolis. Mm. We're going to hop over to the following month here. Superman, The Man of Steel, number 19, January 93, cover date. Doomsday is here by Louise Simonson and John Bogdanov. This has a triangle number of one for 1993. Now, the cover is a close-up of a a Superman and Doomsday face-off. Superman's face is bloody, but the blood is black and not red. A few issues above his head is a comics code authority stamp. Go figure. Now, this was released November 10th, 1992, for a buck and a quarter. Every page for this issue is only two panels. 
Doomsday has arrived in Metropolis, and he's at a construction site breaking stuff. Superman arrives and takes the fight back to the skies. Nearby, Lois and Jimmy are still in a helicopter looking on. Now, Superman takes Doomsday up into the sky, but Doomsday is able to kick him away. And he lands on his feet, then bounces several stories into some new construction rigging, destroying it. We pop over to Smallville and catch the Kents watching this all go down in the news. Superman digs himself out of some construction debris, and we see that he's bleeding from the mouth. Doomsday now crashes through the ground, where he greets our friends, the Underworlders, and kills a whole lot of them. Hmm. The sound effects were used for his Underworlder mauling are splat. So nice. I don't know what they'll tell you about the Underworld Worlders. <laughs> Superman comes up behind Doomsday and locks him in a full Nelson. It's almost like Warbash came early. Nice, and he flies with Doomsday out from the underground. Or he attempts to, along the way, one of Doomsday's feet gets caught in a power line, causing the entire construction site to explode. Lois and Jimmy struggle to stay airborne, and Lex and the second Lex the Second's press conference is interrupted when he finally allows Supergirl to lend her cousin a hand. After all, if Metropolis gets destroyed, what would happen to Lex? Mm-hmm. In the air, Doomsday breaks the full Nelson by elbowing Superman in the side with his craggy elbow bits. Drawn blood and lots of it. Supergirl flies in and gets her protoplasmic face punched right off. She drops to the ground in her sort of amorphous putty-like form. Atop a nearby building, Professor Emil Hamilton, Hamilton and our boy Bibbo yeah. ready a laser cannon to try and take down the beast. They land a blast right in Doomsday's back, which isn't as nearly as effective as they might have hoped. Doomsday drops from the sky, but <laughs> seems to make sure to land right on top of that cannon, which causes yet another explosion. Hey, you know, he does one thing and he does it well, you know, bless he does. his heart. Superman shields some civilians from the blast, including Keith from the opening chapter, and the Metropolis police force decide right now might be the time for them to get involved. And so, led by terrible Dan Turpin and Maggie Sawyer, the entire MPD special crimes unit proceeds to open fire on the monster. And as with every other attempt, uh, it's not wildly successful. Doomsday hurls a squad car at the pesky police. Superman pops back in to continue the fight, landing a shot on the creature's jaw, even chipping off some of its protuberances. Doomsday returns fire by jabbing his spiky knuckles into Superman's gut. Lots of blood here. Uh, it, it gets real bloody, yeah. It sure does. Now, this chapter wraps up with Cadmus's weapons experts, who all look really geeky. Uh, they get involved, and Superman proclaiming that even if it kills him, mm-hmm. Metropolis is where he holds the line. And uh, on the other side of our break, we will discuss that very issue, Superman number 75. It's about to close the book on one of its legendary heroes. Jeannie Most reports, can it be true? Superman will die November 18th at the hands of a villain named Doomsday? Up in the sky, it's a bird! It's a plane! It's a corpse. Come mid-November, Superman will be flying, all right, to heaven. His ass will grace his casket rather than his chest. After 54 years, DC Comics has decided to kill off Superman. We'll let the cub reporter who used to work with Clark Kent answer his own question. Hey, whatever happened to Superman anyway? They must be killing him off because he wasn't selling enough comic books. DC Comics, may I help you? The news of Superman's imminent death kept the phones alive at DC Comics. Oh, DC Comics confirms that a character named Doomsday will kill Superman. Why? And after 50 some odd years, 
to get people to notice, sometimes you have to go to extremes. You see, Superman has an image problem. Did you hear what happened or what's going to happen? No. He's no. going to die. Oh, good. I don't, I'm an anti-Superman fan. I don't like him. He's like a Boy Scout compared to other superheroes. This from a guy who wears a tattoo of a bad guy, the Joker. Teenagers these days prefer more violent characters, ones like the Punisher, Wolverine, the Infinity War. They make Superman's stunts seem dated. More powerful than a locomotive. The news of Superman's imminent demise was greeted not with grief, but as lies. No, they're not going to kill Superman. I think they do it just to get money, and then, like, he's going to revive in two days. There's too much money tied up in Superman for him to stay dead forever. And nobody knows what his uh, Kryptonian physiology is like. And the folks at DC Comics hinted as much, saying there's always hope. We don't know what death means to a Kryptonian. We may find out. And DC Comics says there are no plans to take down the life-size Superman replica in the lobby. But the Man of Steel may be too gentle for today's teenagers. Faster than a speeding bullet. After all, in his entire comic book career, he's only killed three villains. I think he's corny. Yeah, I don't like him. It's a bird! It's a plane! He's kind of a dork. Genie Mo, CNN, New York. Welcome back, everybody. Let's uh, get right to tonight's main event. <laughs> We're talking Superman Volume 2, number 75, cover date of January 1993. Title, Doomsday, by Dan Jurgens. Has a triangle number of two for the year 1993. Cover features... Well, come on, you know what this you cover know is. is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, this was released November 17th, 1992 for $2.50 for the deluxe version and $1.25 for newsstand. Uh, the deluxe edition came in the famous black bag and it would include a Death of Superman poster featuring all of his prominent cast members and superhero pals walking alongside his casket. A newspaper clipping from the Daily Planet entitled Man of Steel Dies Defending City. A trading card version of the deluxe tomb stone cover, some Death of Superman stamps, and most famously, a black armband. So you can mourn Superman's passing in style and make yourself a target for the Noogie Patrol at school. Which I did. <laughs> now, the countdown is, is concluding here. Each page here is a single panel. And we open with Superman and Doomsday locked in combat. Caption reads... The battle has devastated the better part of America, leaving a path of destruction almost as long. Earth's mightiest heroes have already fallen under Doomsday's murderous blitzkrieg. Only one hope, one man remains. Superman says, it stops here, mister. This insanity ends in Metropolis. The camera pans out, revealing the cabinet's weapon experts laying their lasers into the beast and... Daily Planet news is trying to catch the scoop. Yeah, first Cadmus guy goes, focus your fire on the creature. The other guy says, the weapons boys at Project Cadmus say these shock cannons can take out a tank. And Lois from the chapter says, move in closer. We're broadcasting this live. And yet another Cadmus guy goes, how can we handle this guy when Superman can't? This might really be... Doomsday gets the better of the physical exchange and hoists Superman over his head. Bane style, but this is before there ever was a Bane. Indeed, Superman thinks to himself, have to move faster, match Doomsday's speed, or I'm done. First things first, Superman. First, make him let go. Uh, Doomsday hurls Superman's body at the news choppers. Yeah, Lois says, look out, and the pilot says, too late, Mrs. Lane. Our hydraulic cables have just been sheared in half. 
Superman thinks to himself, Blast! All these onlookers and choppers are complicating matters by getting in the way. He's not kidding. We see a second <laughs> no. helicopter right there in the background. Pilot of that copter says, It's getting nasty here, Mr. Grant. We better back off. She replies with, No way. We are not going to miss the story of the century. And Superman recovers in midair and grabs Lois's busted chopper. That sounds like a euphemism for something. It- does, doesn't it? I apologize. Uh, he brings it safely to the ground. And Jimmy Olsen says, Man, I don't believe this! I may be getting the greatest pictures ever, but it's costing us half the city! Yeah, priorities, kid. Lois says, Superman, are you alright? You look so... so... I'd like to get you as far from danger as possible, but I just don't have the time. No telling how many lives Doomsday could take while I'm gone. And Superman lands the helicopter, and Doomsday is still wrecking stuff, while shrugging off constant cannon fire to the back. He's shrugging off that cannon fire like it was nothing! See? He's unstoppable! And then Lois, who's wearing some really 70s-looking shades, says, Please, maybe you should retreat and get help. If Jimmy is right... Wait a minute, we're taking Jimmy's word here? That doesn't seem right, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Superman replies with, Too late, Lois. The JLA has already fallen, and there are too many innocents in jeopardy right now. It's up to me. Lois and Clark embrace and share what might be their final kiss. Lois says, Clark, I... Just remember, no matter what happens, I'll always love you. Always. Superman leaps back into the fight. But now, Doomsday gets his. Wait... Come back. Please come back. Wow, I don't think I've ever seen the big guy so fired up! Superman smashes into Doomsday headfirst with a bracam. Nobody tears apart my city and gets away with it. I don't care what hole you crawled out of or where you came from. You must have read those those issues with the fist from way back. Probably, huh? But I'm sending you back. Superman spears Doomsday through the bottom story of a skyscraper while helicopters and Cadmus geeks look on. Pilot 2 says, Can you believe that? If this keeps up, we won't have a city left. And Cat goes, Stay close so we can keep up the broadcast. The whole country will want to see Superman kick this creep's butt. Another Cadmus guy goes, I want to keep firing, but it's impossible. They're moving too fast. Yeah, like that's ever stopped the geeks from firing before. Come on. Right? Doomsday recovers, but he pile drives Superman's head into the ground. And he enjoys it. He goes, bah <laughs> To which Superman replies, Can't! Oof! Uh, we can see that Sup- Doomsday is... St- Do- Doomsday? We can see that Doomsday <laughs> is standing right in front of the Daily Planet building. And we also see Jimmy and Lois standing right in front of him. Doesn't seem wise. No. Stay back, Miss Lane! We don't, we, need, we don't need to get that close to get a decent picture! Now, if you're ever going to listen to Jimmy's advice, now is probably the time. We can't worry about pictures. Superman is in trouble, and I intend to help him. Oh, boy. Uh, Doomsday turns his attention to the pair of planet staffers. He goes, I don't think we're going to get that chance. Grizzly's coming this way. It's a good thing Booster already named him Doomsday. Imagine we had to refer to him as Grizzly. Right. Lois says, move while you can, Jimmy. I'll distract him while you run. Now, despite that sounding like a capital plan, luckily, Superman's fist comes from the underground with a scow. And Superman punches Doomsday in the back. Enough, Doomsday. If you want to get your hands on my friends, you're going to have to kill me first. What is he? What does he want? Also, 
does he know his name, his name is Doomsday? I mean, he didn't just realize everyone's just talking about him, or maybe uh, you know, maybe he read the same issues that uh, Superman read. Superman unloads a torrent of heat vision at Doomsday, which slams him into a wall. Of interest, Superman is standing on a piece of his own torn cape. He wants destruction and death. To stop him, I need to be as every bit as ferocious and unrelenting as he is. But you can't. He wants to kill, and you, you can't. Tell that to the Phantom Zone criminals, Lois. Really? Doomsday knees Superman in the chin, cutting him open once more. He's been taking that Count Dante correspondence course, I see. I think so. Superman replies with, Bony protrusions, so sharp, he cut me. It's not the first time either. He's kind of getting sliced and diced for a couple of issues here, but uh, they want to mention it now. I I do remember seeing that, though, it was making me realize, wait a second, this is... uh, Serious business. Sure. Uh, the two titans pound away at one another. And Superman thinks to himself, I'm hurt. Bad. Can barely stay conscious. Ugh. Must take him down now. As Doomsday reels backward, Superman stop, stomps the bony protuberance on his left knee, snapping it off with a snack. He appears to have finally hurt the beast. Superman thinks to himself, if those bones are just extensions of his skeleton... Snacked! Yes, I finally managed to hurt him. Superman and Doomsday proceed to start wailing away at each other so hard that every blow causes nearby windows to shatter. Superman thinks, exhausted, have to keep fighting until I drop. Scratch! Or or he does. Damn! Scratch! A passerby says, They hit each other so hard the windows are shattering. Watch out for falling glass! Superman lunges in for a double axe handle. He thinks to himself, This is it. Looks like we're both betting everything we've got on this one. For Lois and Jimmy. For this entire city. I've got to put this guy away while I can. Superman lands the axe handle blow right on Doomsday's jaw. At the very same time, Doomsday clobbers the Man of Steel with a mighty left. Caption reads, Like weary boxers who have gone the distance, the combatants collide in one last explosive effort. In the years to come, a few witnesses will tell of the power of these final punches, that they could literally feel the shockwaves. Others will remember the enormous crater that resulted from the sheer force of the blows. But most will remember this sad day. Nearby, Lois and Jimmy look on. In the reflection of Jimmy's camera lens, we can see Superman and Doomsday both falling. As the day the proudest, most noble man they ever knew finally fell. Lois says, no. Caption reads, for those who loved him, one who would call him husband, one who would be his pal. In Smallville, Ma and Pa Kent are holding each other, crying as they watch what had just gone down on television. Or those who would call him son. This is the darkest day they could ever imagine. They raised him to be a hero, to know the value of sacrifice, to know the value of life. Among the bystanders, we see Justice League members Ice and Bloodwind have just arrived. And for those who serve with Superman in the protection of all life, comes the shock of failure. The weight of being too late to help. Ice says, We, we didn't make it in time. Bloodwind replies, He must survive. It cannot end like this. But it will. For a city to live, 
a man had given his all and more. Lois is now cradling Superman's beaten and battered body. Doomsday lay face down in the rubble at his feet. Please hang on. The paramedics will be here any second. Please. Doomsday, is, is he, is he? You stopped him. You saved us all. Now relax until, but it's too late, for this is the day that a Superman died. And Superman's lifeless body falls limp while Lois cries and Joey snaps a few, uh, Jimmy snaps a few opportune pictures. Yeah, he has a job to do, you know how He it does, is. he yeah. does. Now, uh, the uh, trade collection of this uh, came out pretty rapidly. It yeah. was released December 1st, 1992 for $4.95. And if you hold it up against the light, you see right through every page. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, amazingly, this haven't, hasn't been given a, you know, six deluxe or absolute treatments. Uh, there are a couple of omnibuses and uh, trade paperback that's still in print. Uh, it gets a new cover design every every now and again. Yeah, there are a handful of cover designs. I, I know it just recently got put back into print with a new... Package, yeah, because it had like the bleeding S as like a puzzle right. on the uh, spine. Yeah, I, I think also um, over the years they must have added. They probably put other issues. I don't know. I I, I, don't I think know exactly, so. but yeah, it's it's out there if you want to go read it. Yeah, and I know the omnibus isn't and isn't doesn't include everything. No, there there are things missing from the omnibus yep. which uh, caused a little bit of a uproar when it was released. Um, now the Death and Life of Superman novelization we mentioned earlier by Roger Stern that was released in August 1993 and a book and DVD set was released in 2015. DVD? Well, hmm. yeah, in 2008 an animated version of the Death of Superman was put on DVD. It was called Superman: Colon Doomsday and outside of an excellent behind the scenes documentary on the comics it was pretty rotten yeah uh that's probably why they're gonna give it another go in the not too distant future they have another doomsday cartoon in the works Lined Some, up, yeah. something's going on i don't know now we mentioned earlier or at least it was posited by comics buyers guide that this was a stunt to increase uh sales and uh well, yeah of course everything is a stunt <laughs> exactly uh, now uh per comicron.com superman number 75 was the top selling comic book of 1992 reportedly bringing in 30 million dollars for wow. comic shops on the day of release, that's a lot of books. Yeah, especially when you're when you're putting a twenty dollar uh, hold limit too. There, that helps <laughs> helps true. the cash flow right there. But okay. <laughs> now, for more context on 1992, the top five books of the year were as follows: uh, one, of course, was Superman 75. Two was Wildcats, Covert Action Team's number one from Image. And you can check out episode number 28 of the Cosmic Treadmill in the archives for our wild discussion. Mm -hmm. uh, number three was Venom, legal, 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 Lethal Enforcer, number one from Marvel. Uh, number four was Spider-Man 2099, number one from Marvel. And number five was Spawn number eight from Image Comics. That was uh, written by Neil Gaiman and will soon be the subject of an episode of Weird Comics History. Yeah. Uh, Comicron data doesn't include a monthly sales figure, nor number of units sold for 1992, only a top 300 books of the year list. So we'll have to get a bit creative in interpre interpreting yeah. this. Uh, Superman, The Man of Steel 17, this was the first appearance of Doomsday, does not rank in the top 300, though it did receive a second printing. Superman Volume 2, number 73, did not rank, but it also received a second printing. Uh, and this is in the day, too, where printings were usually about 100,000 minimum. Probably. Uh, so this this says you know quite a few comics did exist in the world, and it tells you that you know despite these getting these multiple printings, how healthy the market I was. Know, yeah, that exactly. They didn't even rank. They couldn't even yeah. rank. They went through two printings. Uh, anyway, it, it's just how things have changed. 
Uh, Adventures of Superman number 496 also did not rank and didn't get a second printing. Action Comics number 683 did not rank, but it received three printings. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, in, into the Doomsday story uh, proper here, Superman the Man of Steel 18 also does not appear in the top 300, though it received five printings. Wow. Yeah, uh, Justice League America, number 69, did not rank either and received four printings. Uh, Superman, volume 274, didn't rank, but received four printings. Wow. Uh, (laughs) Adventures of Superman 497 also didn't rank in the top 300 and had three printings. In the top 300, but, you know, I got to remember... X-Men was real big. X-Men time. image, <laughs> yeah. I bet I, I, I don't look at the list myself, but I have a feeling that's we'd be seeing a lot of that stuff on that list. Yeah, uh, sure. Action Comics number 684 also did not rank, but this received three printings. Superman, the Man of Steel number 19 was the 109th top-selling book of the year and had three printings. And Superman volume 2 number 75, as mentioned, this was the number one selling book of the year and had four printings and multiple versions. Yeah, now we want you to tell us about your kids' college education. (laughs) Now, for many comics enthusiasts and historians, this storyline marked the apex of what they call the speculator bubble. And it was all downhill from here, and uh, there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, Just for fun, we figured we'd take a look at the current values of these one-time hotter-than-hell books. And these valuations are courtesy of comicbookrealm.com, and these are graded at near mint. We have the first appearance of Doomsday's Fist, Superman the Man of Steel number 17. First printing, 30 bucks. Not bad. Yeah, second printing, $10. Also, not bad. Not bad at all for a buck 25 investment. Mm -hmm. Uh, Superman volume 2 number 73. The first printing of this is $6. Second printing is $3. Adventures of Superman number 496. The first and only printing, you can get that for $4 at near mint. Action Comics number 683, first printing is $6, second printing is $8, third printing is $10. Now, why do you think it went up, Chris? Do you think that they got rarer as they went into... I think, uh, that's what I'm thinking. Printings? I think everybody went crazy buying those first printings that they neglected the second and third, and they uh, they, they just wound up in the uh, in the ether. Wow. And uh, we're, we're going to discuss one that's uh, similar right now. Mm-hmm. Superman, the Man of Steel, number 18. First printing goes for $15. Second printing, 5 Third printing, 3 Fourth printing, $10. And the fifth and final printing, 30 bucks. That's just so fascinating. You know, I <laughs> Isn't mean, it? It tells you everything. Like, it's like a snapshot of collecting right there, what yeah. it's all about, really. It's so weird. Now, uh, Justice League America number 69, the first printing is $6. The subsequent three printings, three bucks each. At Superman Volume 2, number 74, first printing is eight bucks. The subsequent three are also $3 each. Adventures of Superman number 497, first printing is $4. The following two printings can both be found for $3 at Mint, near Mint. Now, Action Comics 684, first printing four bucks, second and third printing three bucks. Uh, Superman the Man of Steel number 19, first printing six dollars, second printing five dollars, third printing 15 bucks. Wow, it's really, really <laughs> bizarre. And you can tell these uh, these subsequent printings because there'll be a Roman numeral under the under the um, the issue number. Okay. So you you can see these at a glance. So if you're ever in a quarter bin and you see a third printing of that with a Roman numeral three, grab it. That's the one to get. Uh, that's 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 it's just so interesting. You know, it's like it Isn't really it? is. It's about scarcity. You know, and when people are Certainly. running to speculate, those are the issues that there are plenty of in the world. The original printings. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we get to the big boy of the series, Superman Volume Two, Number Seventy Five. 
The first printing black bag that you can get today for $20. First printing unbagged for $5. First printing direct sales with no barcode is $10. The newsstand version is $10 also. Second printing of this is four bucks, along with the third printing and fourth printing, same price. The platinum edition, which was the black bagged with like a silver yeah. bloody S, this is uh, $95, only 10,000 copies produced of it. The unbagged, the unbagged platinum edition, I mean, come on, who would do that? That's silly. Who would do that? Nobody. Uh, nobody did that. I, you know, maybe some of the, the, the regular ones got un, unbagged, but none of the platinum ones. No. Of course, the, all of these issues, minus man is still number 17, the platinum number 75, they're pretty easy to find in the discount bins, and most can be had for the change. You might find under the couch cushions, especially if you're not yeah. looking for near mint. If you're, just, no. if you're just looking for very good, they become much cheaper and much more available. Much more plentiful, yes. Yeah. <laughs> now, we figured we would wrap up this episode by discussing some of the other times Superman died. Because this wasn't the first time. No, nor the last, actually. But that's the story. <laughs> True. Now we're gonna we're gonna first discuss Superman number one hundred forty nine. This is cover dated November nineteen sixty one. Title of the story is "The Death of Superman" by Jerry Siegel and Kurt Swan. This is initially an imaginary story, now said to have happened on Earth one forty nine. Uh, Lex Luthor sets an amazingly elaborate trap for Superman and bombards him with kryptonite rays. <laughs> While all the while forcing his friends to watch him die. It's really messed up. <laughs> now, Supergirl eventually grabs Luther and shrinks him down so he could face a judge in the bottle city of Kandor. Uh, Luther pleads for lenience by offering to restore Kandor to its full size, but they chuck him into the Phantom Zone anyway. Yeah, they decide they're not going. They don't make deals with Luthers. No. <laughs> uh, in Super, Superman's Girlfriend, Lois Lane, number 43, this is August 1963, cover date, titled The Girl Who Mourned for Superman by Leo Dorfman and Kurt Schaffenberger. Lois Lane is hit by lightning and sent to a parallel Earth where Superman and Lex Luthor are killed in battle. The Superman Emergency Squad shows up. This is the team of Kandorians who all look exactly like Superman. They even, like, pop the cork in their bottle to go come and help him. Uh, one of the Kandorians, maybe even a robot version, takes over for the Earth-43 Superman. Uh, Lois returns to Earth, whatever, probably Earth-1, we're guessing, yeah. maybe, and receives a lecture from Superman, the real one, about being out during a lightning storm. Mm-hmm. Superman issue 188, July 1966. The School for Superman Assassins by Otto Binder and Kurt Swan. The galaxy, the galaxy crimeteers try to figure out a way to kill Superman via kryptonite radio waves. And this is something that they practiced on a Superman android. A member of the crew named Zuniel is finally able to defeat the bot and is given the opportunity to head to Earth and take down the real Steel deal. And he does. Zuniel brings Superman's corpse back home with him to prove his feat, at which time the peace vigilantes... Wait, wait, what? Yeah, the peace vigil. I don't know. Okay. Is that okay? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the peace vigilantes of Zarya raid the Crimatier headquarters and somehow reactivate the dead Superman android. The altruistic android, being based on the real Superman, sacrifices itself to revive the dead Man of Steel. Sure. Why not? Uh, Action Comics number 366, cover date August 1968, we have Substitute Superman by Leo Dorfman and Ross Andrew. This is more a story of how everyone would cope if Superman died in the line of duty. Uh, basically, Supergirl and five Superman substitutes take over in his wake, and these sub Superman substitutes turn out to be 
members of the Justice League standing in until the appropriate replacement from Kandor can be found. So, seeing he's not needed, Superman retires to Aruba and opens a handmade jewelry kiosk. No, I'm like you kidding. do. Yeah. Uh, but really, actually, this the stuff leading up to Superman's return to Earth is more interesting. He dies, but he's saved from cremation by a fire-breathing breathing alien that he saved as Superboy. Then he's sent to a frozen planet where he's cured of Virus X <laughs> by being exposed to white kryptonite, which is made on the Bizarro world. It's like, what the, what, are, what happened here? <laughs> Such a crazy, weird thing, but all right. That's nuts. Uh, we'll jump ahead a couple years to Action Comics issue 387. This is April 1970, cover date. Story title is Even a Superman Dies by Carrie Bates and Kurt Swan. The time trapper traps Superman in the distant future, the year 801,970 AD to be exact. He even uh, terraforms and repopulates a barren Earth in the year 1,001,970. A drone powered by Lex Luthor's computerized intelligence sends Superman careening into the future. This makes him wrap around uh, time through the Big Bang, then into the present, where he diverges from the previous timeline. Sure, very convenient. Uh, I, I, I understood every word of that. Right, it's exactly, you know, it's, it's weird, too, because you do get to see an old Superman, like when we... And when we start the story, he's got, yep. like, white hair and stuff, but somehow he youngs up again. We don't know. But anyway, uh, sure. World's <laughs> Finest Comics, number two, 207. This was November 1971. A Matter of Light and Death by Len Wein and Dick Dillon. Clark Kent is mind-controlled to retrieve the magical Satan staff, which can kill Superman. Detecting gaps in his memory, Superman asks Batman to do some detecting. Batman discovers that there's a plot, but doesn't stop Superman from being zapped by the Satan staff, and, and Superman's then encased in a golden crystal. Uh, it all turns out to be a plot by Dr. Light, and also Superman isn't dead after all. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Pretty much how that wraps up. <laughs> now, Justice League of America, number 145, August 1977. This is The Carnival of Souls by Steve Englehart and Dick Dillon. Count Crystal makes a pact with a demon for the power to kill the Justice League, and he kills Superman first while he's on monitor duty. The Phantom Stranger leads the rest of the Justice League into a seance to contact Superman and bring him back from the dead. And making a long story short... It works. Yeah, there's a, there's a little more to it, but that's basically what happens. Uh, <laughs> Action Comics number 583. This is September 1986 cover date. This is Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow Part 2 by Alan Moore and Kurt Swan. It had turned out that Mr. Mrs. Pitlick had thrown all of Superman's enemies at him out of boredom. Superman realizes he's a danger to the people he loves, so he steps into a room of gold kryptonite, which robs him of his powers forever. This whole story is told in an interview with Lois Lane, who married a familiar-looking blue-collar fellow named Cal Ellis. And they also, in the last panel, we see they have a son that can turn coal into diamond in his hand. Uh-oh. Well. Hmm. Now we're going to jump into uh, the future, or at least the future as it, <laughs> for, as it for stands for 1992. Right? <laughs> yeah. uh, we're going to The Kingdom, number one, February 1999 cover. Story title is Neverending Slaughter by Mark Wade and Ariel Al- Alavetti. Uh, or Olivetti. Uh, now, dozens of supermen are winding up dead and discovered by Dead Man. It turns out that Gog is killing Superman, then going back in time one day to kill him, ad- kill him again. Oh. And so on and so on. That's so, uh, sort of a murderous Groundhog's Day. It's very good. I think, yes. <laughs> uh, now, uh, discussing the Golden Age Superman, we're going to talk about Infinite Crisis number seven. This is June 2006. Finale by Jeff Johns and Phil Jimenez. And, like we said, it's the death of the Golden Age slash Earth 2 Superman. Well, that's where he finally eats it. Yep. 
In uh, All-Star Superman number 12, October 2008 cover, this is Superman Excelsis by Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely. The sun has been poisoned, and the only way to save it is to cram it with his solar energy to fly into it. And uh, the maxi-series have been building to this inevitable point anyway, that Superman was going to eat it at the end, and he does, and it's very... Uh, it's, it's it's emotional, you know. It, it does end also with Lois promising he'll come back, kind of a Jesus thing going on. But anyway, yeah. Uh, in DC Universe versus the Masters of the Universe, number two. This is December 2013 cover. Justice denied by Keith Giffen, Tony Bedard, and Dexter Soy. Skeletor uses magic to get the Justice League to act as his puppets. When He-Man attacks, Skeletor convinces Superman to battle him. It doesn't work out so well for Superman as He-Man is able to run him through using his magic sword. And he naturally did return by the end of the miniseries. Sure. We have uh, Justice League 3001, number 6, December 2015. The Storm by Keith Giffen, J.M.D. Mateus, and Colleen Doran. Uh, this is the pompous Superman clone. Uh, if you remember, the, the 3001 League is comprised mostly of clone versions of the real deals. Uh, he gets his head blown off. All right. And he's dead. Uh, we we have uh, Superman, Volume 3, Number 52, July 2016. This is The Final Days of Superman, Part 8, Do or Die, by Peter J. Tomasi and, we say, Michael Jannon? I say Michael. You know, Jim Michael. says Mickle, but I say Michael. <laughs> Michael works fine. Now, in the time between Convergence and DC Rebirth, the new 52 Superman really put his body through the ring, oh, yeah. and he was depowered to boot. Um, now, he absorbed apocalyptic energy during the Dark Side War, running in Justice League. He locked himself in a room full of kryptonite in his own books, and had some sort of nonsense reaction to the, the arrival of Rao in the pages of Justice League of America, a story that, if pressed, we couldn't swear has been concluded by now. No, I, I'm not really sure that it has been. <laughs> kind of lingered on for a long time in the pages of JLA. He also got this new solar flare power that takes a lot out of him, and of course he used it just about every issue since his emergence. It's like supposed yeah. to be his like, you know, you know, be last all, dish. end all, last, yeah. you know, last ditch power. He uses it constantly, and so he finally succumbs to the compounded trauma along with the readers of the book and dies. <laughs> Luckily, the the pre Flashpoint Superman, likely the one we just covered the death of, was waiting in the wings to reclaim the mantle for the post rebirth DC universe. In the months that followed, the new 52 Superman had been retconned as never having been a separate entity from the real Superman, or at least everybody's memories have been altered to think so, but only sometimes. Anyway. Uh, And, of course, we have to mention, I think, for some reason, uh, (laughs) a big deal. uh, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. This was a feature film by Warner Brothers in 2016. In this movie, jerk Batman tries to eliminate brooding Superman because he doesn't trust aliens. But they make up and become friends because their mothers share the same name, Martha. Is that is that real? Is that, that really is happened to that? Pretty much. That's not real. just a meme. Nope. That is that is actually oh, what happens boy. in the scenes. Uh, Batman. I I can't. I, I'm almost positive Batman's about to spear Superman with like the spear of destiny or something. <laughs> and he and he's Superman calls out to his mother and says, "Oh, Martha," and then that's when. They realize it's something. Anyway. That's as horrible as uh, the memes make it oh, seem. Yeah, okay. Do not, this, is, this is one you don't have to see, Chris. Believe me, you'll be fine without it. You'll be <laughs> you'll be fine just thinking the 2008 cartoon stinks. You don't need to uh, paint it with this one. <laughs> Immediately after that scene, though, like instantly, it's so, so soon after it, Doomsday shows up, and it's like a big, much more giant, crazy-looking Doomsday, and uh, gets pummeled ultimately by Batman and Superman. Uh, Wonder Woman shows up for a minute too, but Superman gets stabbed with one of Doomsday's bony protrusions and dies. 
or does he? Hmm. And the answer is no, because he's going to no, be in Justice not. League coming in like two weeks. Ah, yes. So these are the times that uh, we dug <laughs> up for Superman's many, many uh, <laughs> deaths, humiliating <laughs> deaths through his life, uh, his career. But you might remember some others. You might have some sure. memories of this uh, moment in comics history or about Superman in general. We're going to be giving our thoughts on this series, but that'll be in the third episode or the last yeah. episode of this thing. Well, we'll talk about our. Uh, Personal. Or maybe even the fourth special episode. Possibly. Who Could knows? Be, we'll see how long this goes on. But yeah, it'll yep. be when we wrap this up, it'll be our personal thoughts. And, you know, the, Chris has a story, a personal story involved with this time, and I do too. Sure. So, uh, But we want to hear yours as always. So if you have any, please write to us at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cosmic T mill history. We're on Twitter at cosmic T mill, and I'm on Twitter at Reggie Reggie. I'm at Ace Comics. You'll find our weekly writings at WeirdScienceDCComics.com, and Chris has a blog he updates daily called ChrisIsOnInfiniteEarths.com, where you review a DC comic every single day of the week, and it could come from any point in DC's history. It could be mm-hmm. really anything, anything from Scooter to Superman to uh, whatever you want in there. So uh, you definitely should crack that open, check that out. Oh, and uh, for our shared blog slash image depository, we have weirdcomicshistory.blogspot.com, which is uh, almost up to date. I don't know if I did last week's, but uh, <laughs> it's 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 more up to date than it was. So that's, uh... I, I got to get in the background of that and uh, throw some uh, gems in there <laughs> as well. But uh, I think that's all we got from this week, Chris. You got anything else for him? Nope, I think that'll do us. Well, until next week, folks, I want you to keep it on the treadmill. Murtra Bruce Lee See you. Will you worry that you're not liked How long till you break You're happy cause you smile But how much